Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. Many times we can fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine, but there is so much more to the purpose of Jesus for us to understand. Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at statements that Jesus himself said about his mission while he was here on earth. Our lives can be different because of Jesus. Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us wherever you are. We'd love to extend a little hospitality to you, but we need to know you're here. So if you're new to Grace Life, if you would take a moment and click the link for the connection card for whatever platform you're watching, or you can also just text hello to the number on your screen. Say hello to us. We're going to say hello back to you. Don't worry. No hassle guarantee. No one's going to knock on your door. Hey everybody, it is Mother's Day. We're going to celebrate our moms, and if we were here in the building, the first thing we would do is ask them all to stand up so we could cheer for them and clap for them because of how much they've done for us. Well, we're not in the building, but we're going to do it anyway. So moms, wherever you are all around the world, jump to your feet right now, and everybody in whatever room you're in with your mother, even if she's not there, shout loud enough for her to hear her. Let's all cheer for our moms. Let's celebrate them and all that they've done for us. Well, hey, we're actually in a series called Because of Jesus. And the series is about all of the things that are different in our lives and in the world around us because of Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front today what we're talking about because it's perfect for Mother's Day. Today our topic is because of Jesus, we don't live for ourselves. I mean, think about it, Mother's Day, right? There's not a group of people that better exemplifies the idea of not living for themselves than mothers. I mean, think about it. They carried us for nine months, and they didn't want to. Look, if you don't know that, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now. We've got four children, and, and you know the first couple of months when they're pregnant, they got the little baby bump, they're like, oh, look, I'm pregnant. Everybody's all happy about it. They just love showing that off. But I'm going to tell you, there's something that happens about month seven. They're done with you. They don't want you in there anymore. But they let you stay there for two more months, not for them, but for you. Then they cook your meals for you. Then they help you with homework. And then you're hungry in the middle of the night. Look, you know what happens when you become a mom? You never sleep again. You never get a whole night's sleep again. It starts out with a little baby. The little baby wants to eat, doesn't want to wait on breakfast. You don't get to sleep all night because you feed the baby. And then finally the baby gets a little older. You think, good, I'm going to sleep through the night. No, you don't get to sleep through the night because now the young child eats too much sugar, right? We've got some of those children. And so then you're up in the middle of the night helping change the bed sheets and getting them back to sleep. And you think, okay, that'll get over as they get older. And But then it turns out as they're teenagers, you don't sleep through the night because you're up praying for them. Look, mothers don't live for themselves. They are doing everything for everyone else. What an example for us, right? I remember the first time that I began to encounter the idea of not living for myself. I've told you a little of this story throughout the series, so I'm not going to repeat it all right now, but when I was 16, I became a believer and, and committed my life to making Jesus my king. And as we do that for everyone, there is a huge change of realizing, whoa, uh, this isn't just about me anymore. If he's my king, king means something. But for me, there was a, another step that took place because I, up until that point, always thought I would, I would become a doctor. I wanted to be a surgeon. 
And look, if you want to be a surgeon, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we need godly surgeons. We need doctors who care for other people. Uh, the problem was, I didn't want to be a doctor to care for other people. I wanted to be a doctor because they had prestige and they were rich. And, and I wanted the prestige and the money. And that's the reason I was going to be a doctor. It was actually all about me. And the minute that I decided to make Jesus my king, I also knew that what he wanted for my life was not prestige and money, but it was to do what I'm doing now. And I realized at that moment, I can't live for myself if I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Just everything changed, right? And I would imagine everybody watching today would say, you want to say you don't live for yourself as well. Uh, and, and we're up out of bed, we're worshiping God, we're, we're doing things for him. So some of you'd like to say, hey, I'm good. I'm not sure I need to hear the message. But the truth is, all of us, at some point in time, matter of fact, at some point in every week probably, if not every day, we, we find ourselves living for ourselves. I mean, think about this. We, we take jobs for the best pay and the best vacation benefits, not for the people that we could potentially reach for Jesus at our workplace. Uh, we, we choose a house for what is the nicest that we want, not for does the neighbor need someone to help lead them to Jesus. We spend our money for what do I want to do this, not necessarily what does God want me to do with this. And so at some moment, every one of us is struggling with the idea that part of our life, we keep making it all about us, even if we also keep trying to surrender that. It's just kind of the Christian human condition. I think everybody would say they want their life to be meaningful. You want to look back at the end and say, I made a difference. Well, here's a very important truth and reality we need to know. If we want our life to be meaningful, a meaningful life is only found when it is lived for something bigger than yourself. And this is the very thing that Jesus modeled for us. It's why we're talking about it in the series. Let me show you what Jesus said. It comes out of the book of John in chapter 6, and in verse 38, he tells us something about how he didn't live for himself. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, you know, sometimes when you think of Jesus, I've heard a lot of people talk about Jesus, and they talk about the Father, and they've, they've kind of got this idea. Honestly, it's a little bit messed up, and it's not quite theologically accurate, but we have the idea that God is sitting in heaven with lightning bolts, and he's just ready to say, you messed up, and strike us, you know, with a lightning bolt, where we think that Jesus was the nice hippie son who kind of came down and did all the love and all that cool stuff. And so this sentence, for some people, they think it's kind of the uh, disclaimer that Jesus is giving, like, hey, you know, I'm the nice one, but I'm going to do some things that might frustrate you. He actually did a few things that frustrated people. He rebuked religious leaders. He overturned tables of greedy money changers, and, and he did a few other things. And so some people read this verse, and they think it's Jesus's way of saying, hey, I'm going to frustrate a few of you, but just so you know, it's not my idea. I'm just doing what my father told me to do. I, I just need to tell you, first of all, that's not the way Jesus and the father are. It's actually the love of the father that sent Jesus for us. But more importantly, it's not a disclaimer. It's one of the most important statements that Jesus could ever make for us to understand the sacrifice of not living for himself. Let's just start with the part where he says, I've come down from heaven. 
I, I, I just let's think for a minute what that is like, because up until this point in time, for us, in all of the history of the universe, this is about 2,000 years ago, but up until that moment, Jesus was in perfect heaven. Jesus was with the Father in perfect fellowship. Jesus was in the midst of perfect worship as all the angels of heaven glorified God in every thought and every word and maybe even in song at the time. Whatever was happening, everything was perfect. There was no one there like us saying, well, I don't want to do this and I want to do it my way and whatever. It was as good as it could be. And he was willing to step away from perfect worship and perfect fellowship and and, and perfect heaven to come and live in a very broken world. And to live in a place where worship was incredibly imperfect. I mean, look, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I find myself standing in church sometimes and singing the words on the wall, and, and I discover I wasn't even thinking about those words. And sometimes I'll discover I just sang words that I'm like, uh, I'm not sure I meant that. that. That's a pretty serious statement. I don't know if I've lived that statement this past week. That's what Jesus had to come and be in the midst of. And Jesus had to come and spend his time with with humans who were asking him, hey, how can I be greater than the other humans beside me? <laughs> Some of his disciples actually asked questions like that. How, how can you make me better? How can I be in the first chair and put them at the end of the line? I mean, can you just imagine what torture it had to be for him to live in a broken world amongst fallen people and be in the midst of imperfect worship and and messed up ideas about who the Father was and, and what he wanted for people. I mean, everything was so broken. Matter of fact, this was so bad that in theology class, we, we have a name for this period of Jesus' life, and it's called the state of humiliation. When he left perfection and everything being the way it was supposed to be, to come and be in the midst of our brokenness. And because of that, everything good for you and me came out of it. He defeated the devil. He conquered sin and death. He saved all of mankind. He did it all through the worst death that could ever happen for a human. And he did all of this, all of this, because he didn't live for himself, but he lived for us. He didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father. And so because of Jesus, we don't live for ourselves. Jesus didn't live for himself. If he's our king, then we don't live for ourselves. And this is going to lead to a really simple question right now. So if we don't live for ourselves, then who do we live for? Glad you asked, because the answer is right here in 2 Corinthians. It says, he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those, you and I, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Look, we talked earlier in the series that you were specifically created with a purpose. You have a reason to be on planet Earth. When we were made by God, each of us, we were individually made. The Bible uses the word workmanship. It was not some mass-produced thing where humans just kept getting popped out, but God created you and said, I want to make you Jill. You're going to be just like this, and I want to make you Tom, and you're going to do this, and you're going to be like this. But this should lead us to a motivating question. If God made us, and he made us so unique, Are you aware that God has a will for your life, right? You know, most of us, to be honest, are probably trained with the idea that we're just the result of a biological process. 
that, that we're not the result of a creator. Matter of fact, what you hear from a preacher sometimes conflicts with what you hear from a teacher. And, and I love teachers, and I, I was a teacher before becoming a preacher, and I worked in the public school system, so I don't mean to offend anyone, but typically the public school systems, which the majority of us went to, does not teach the Bible what it usually teaches is the scientific idea that we are biological results and that God has never had a hand in that. And I don't mean to stir up a hornet's nest, but we find a lot of us really frustrated with life. And think about it, because if you're a biological process, your life cannot come with a divine purpose. The only way your life can come with a divine purpose is it has a, a divine beginning. If we're just biological processes, then what we're trying to do is figure out how to make our lives meaningful and how to find purpose. And we do things like come up with goals and aspirations and, and we put everything into a career. And, and lots of that is good because God works through it and we do impact other people through many of those things. But somehow it doesn't measure up. You see, actually, we are people who were created with a divine purpose because we're created in God's image. And you can't have this purpose, by the way, if you don't follow the thought logically. Okay, so if God created us for purpose, then that means God has a plan to carry out that purpose. If he has a plan, that means he's got an intent. Maybe another word for that is he has a will for you. He has a, a will for your life. And there is something he wants for you and me, and that is why we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him. We live for the will that he has for us, which leads to the most important question that we can answer today. Do I live for God's will for me, or do I live for my will for me? Honestly, I think it's going to be an incredibly challenging question. As we talk about figuring out God's will and how to live for that. I want to, to give you a very, very important truth. You can't get away from this. It's so important, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Finding God's will is not that hard, but living it is rarely easy. Did you hear that? Finding God's will is not that hard, but living it is rarely easy. You know, let me just give you this illustration. Sometimes people think it's really difficult to figure out what God wants for them. As a pastor, a lot of times people are saying, I don't know what God wants. Look, I can promise you, God is not up in heaven looking down at us going, ha, look at him, look at it. They're so confused. Come on, Jesus, check this out. This is hilarious. They have no idea what they should be doing. I just love watching them all messed up and confused. No, that's not our God. That's not the way he is. We'll get in a minute to what is his will and how easy is that to figure out because it really is. But, but first I want to talk about the part where I said living it is rarely easy. So there are two reasons for that. The first is if you choose to live God's will for your life, the devil will oppose you. And the second one is God will grow you. And both of those will make you feel like everything is against you. Right? Let me, let me just say that again. If you choose to live God's will for your life, the devil will oppose you. God will grow you. And both of those will make you feel like everything is against you. I'm not going to talk much about the devil today because I don't like giving him a lot of attention. But just real quickly, you need to understand that the time you decide, I'm going to live for God, the devil has now given you his attention. And he's going to do everything he can to make that unsuccessful, to discourage you, to stand in your way, and to help you go back to what you used to be doing. Because what you used to be doing was either living for him or living for yourself, and it didn't really matter which one because neither one of them was living for God. 
God. And he was happy with that. And the minute you say, I'm going to make a change and put God's ways first, God's purpose first, God's will first in my life, I'm not going to live for me anymore. The enemy says, whoa, 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 that is unacceptable. And he will come after you with everything that he's got. If you need to, you can go and check out a series. We've got some series on spiritual warfare. I, I clearly don't have time to cover all of that this morning. So I'm going to move on to talking about the second part, and that is that God will grow you. See, here's the reality. If you want to live God's will for your life, it will always mean, no questions asked, it will always mean that we're going to need to become more like him in the process. We're we're going to change. We're going to grow. That's also been a part of the series, that because of Jesus, we're changed. We're not who we used to be. Well, that process, honestly, it's not always easy because it requires character growth. And matter of fact, some people, well, they, they kind of flunk out of this process. And maybe you've met some people who are a little frustrated and discouraged and, and they thought they had done some things right for a while, but then they kind of gave up. And it's because they were running into the, the difficulties of growing. And they just decided, you know what, it takes too much character to do what God wants. It takes much less character to live for myself. And, and they kind of drop out. Again, I shared my story deeper in another part of the series, but at 16, I knew I was called to be a pastor. And uh, I knew I was called to be a pastor, not just on the side, but for uh, my career. This is what God had called me to do and to put uh, my efforts toward. But I didn't get to do that for about 20 years. And the disconnect for those 20 years, what God was doing was character growth. And he was working on me because the 16-year-old version of me, matter of fact, the 26-year-old version of me, simply could not do what God wants for me now in my life. And he was taking me through a process. I'm going to be honest, it was hard. There were times that I didn't enjoy the confrontations about my pride or my arrogance or my laziness or, or whatever the issues were that God would put his finger on and say, hey, I've got great things for you. Let's get this out of the way. And I would fight back a little bit and, and be very frustrated with how the process was going. Matter of fact, it was so frustrating that at one point, very distinct point in my life, I told God, I'm done. I'm so tired of how hard it is to do what I thought you called me to do. So I tell you what, and we'll put this circumstance in front of you. There was something that was going to happen to me that day. And I said, God, if this thing works out like this, I am done with ministry. I'm done with this idea. And I'm just going to go live an easy life. Kind of sounds like living for myself, doesn't it? Well, praise God, it did not work out like I told him it needed to. And he forced my hand and backed me into a corner and continued to work on my character. And although those were really hard years of my life, I am so glad for it now. Because now I can say I've been through a process and I know where God wants me to be. But let's get back to what I was just talking about, because even as I tell that story, it goes back to the idea that finding God's will for your life is all about finding the right job. It's all about finding your career. I used to be a youth pastor, and even now as a pastor, I hear the same thing. I used to hear students going to be, Jimmy, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what God wants for me. I don't know what to major in. I have adults now come and say, I'm frustrated with my job. I don't feel like I'm doing what God wants. I I don't know what God wants for me. And it is so common for us to connect what we do with God's will. And, and it can be, it, it can be definitely. And I do believe if you're going to spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week doing something that God wants to work through that. You can't separate that. 
But I do need you to hear this. This is so important. God's will for you is so much more about who you are than what you do. Did you guys hear that? It is so much more about who you are and the life you live than the thing you do for a paycheck. Matter of fact, let me just illustrate some of the roles you have that you don't get paychecks for. Is anybody watching this morning a husband or a wife? If you're a husband or a wife, God clearly has a will for that. He's laid out some things that he wants for you, some ways to be a husband, some ways to be a wife that will help you succeed at that. He has a will for that. And he wants you to succeed at that before you succeed as a business owner, before you succeed as a teacher, before you succeed as a soldier, before you succeed as a doctor. Before those, you are a husband or you are a wife. How about, is anybody watching me this morning, a mother or a father? Again, the exact same thing I just said. He has a will for you on how to be a father and how to be a mother. He has a plan for you. Is anybody watching this morning a child? Do you live at home with someone called a parent? He has a will for you in how to do that. And it goes far beyond what you are going to do for a paycheck later in your life. Matter of fact, what I'm about to say I hope applies to virtually every person watching this morning. Would you call yourself a Christian? If you'd call yourself a Christian, then it doesn't matter as much what you do for a day job. That description, that role alone is is giving you God's will for your life. God has an entire plan for what it means for you to call yourself a child of God, separate from your paycheck. We get too caught up in thinking that what we do is the only thing that matters for God's will. Look, here's the truth. God has a will for your marriage. And so when your marriage is hard, we need to stop and say, well, I've got a will and it's the easy way out. But God's will might be, most definitely is, to work through some of those harder things. God has a will for you how to raise your children. You know, think about this. Why do you do what you do with your children? Is it what God is telling you to do to prepare them for who he wants them to become? Or is it a cultural idea? I mean, I don't know about you, but but I live here in America. I'm raised in a world that says we need to give our child every opportunity to to be the greatest at everything. So even if, like, they're only going to grow up to be four foot tall, we put them in basketball. Even if they're only going to weigh 90 pounds, we put them in football. Even if they can't chew gum and walk at the same time, we sign them up for ballet or gymnastics or something. We do everything. It's, It's all revolving around. We just want the kids to be able to do all of these different things instead of stopping and saying, hey, God, they're your workmanship. What do you want for my children? God has a will for how you spend your money. Do you know God has a will for where you live? The Bible actually says he determines the geographical boundaries of our lives. Meaning when we go shopping for houses, we say, which house do I like the best? Which neighborhood has the best amenities? You might want to ask the question, God, where are you telling me to live? Because There could be a person living next door that will only go to heaven because of the neighbor they meet that tells them about you. I want to be that neighbor. You have a will for where I live. Children, God has a will for how you respond to your parents. Teenagers, God has a will for what you do and don't do with your boyfriends and your girlfriends. Look, I'm telling you, every part of our lives, there are no accidents, there are no coincidences. Every part of our lives, God is working through you, and for you in every single thing to accomplish his will because he has a purpose, and that purpose comes with a plan. 
That plan means he has an intent for your life, and that intent can only be achieved if we do what he has for us. But look, if we're going to be honest, everything I just talked about is usually for ourselves. We get married because we want to be happy. I've never met someone yet in all the years of doing weddings and premarital counseling. I've never met someone that says, I would like to get married so that I can serve someone else and they can shape me through some painful experiences and being more like God. And I don't, I don't have any intention of being happy. <laughs> you know, we get married. Everybody's always like, I just want to, I love them. They love me. It's going to be so great. We get married for ourselves. We want kids who grow up and get impressive jobs so that they can finally pay us back for all the money we spend on them. The braces, the dentist, the college, everything else like come on when I am 80 I am expecting my kids to treat me very well to a Caribbean vacation right we expect our kids to grow up and do things like raise grandkids for us because grandkids are for us and they can do things that impress the world we spend our money on what we want we live in the neighborhood that has the best amenities for us it's always about us even if we say I'm living for God, it's a daily struggle. Now, look, here's the good news. It's a struggle, and we're all in it together. So don't feel bad. Nobody feel condemned, because what we're going to do today is talk about how to, to try to overcome that struggle one day at a time. As a pastor, I, I see the struggle, for real. And, you know, I, I see the difficulties that people go through and the tough choices that sometimes people make to say, I, I'm not going to live my way. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for what God wants. And I remember there was a, a couple in our church uh, a few years back, and, and we did a series on marriage, and uh, well, they weren't married, um, but they were a family. They were raising a family together. They'd actually been a blended family, but had children together, and, and they had never gotten married, and uh, they had a few reasons for that, and so they, they came in to my office and said, uh, we feel a little convicted that we've never gotten married, um, and our kids are sometimes wondering why that is, so we're realizing you know, we're having an influence on them. And well, you just preached this. And so, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to think about getting married. It's okay, I think that's great. And, and, but, but little pieces kept showing up. They said, so we're, we're going to get married uh, in about a year um, because we need to be able to bring her mom over for the wedding. Uh, her mom lived in another country and it was going to be a long, difficult process to, to make that happen. And I said, so wait a minute, you think there's something wrong with the example you're setting for your kids but it's okay if you continue doing it your way instead of God's way for another year. They said, yeah, we want to honor our mom. I said, okay, well, tell God you'd rather honor your mom than him. And they, I love because they immediately said, oops, you're right. Okay, we'll get married. We'll get married now. And we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, send, send mom a video or something like that. Look, I am all for honor your fathers and your mothers, and I hope I am at my kids' weddings. I don't mean any disrespect, but God first. And if waiting to honor your mom is going to take a year, I'm just going to leave that out there to pray about. Uh, there might need to be a step to take. And so they said, okay, okay, we're, we're, we're going to get married. But um, can it just be a ceremony and, and can we not get married legally? I said, well, wait a minute, what's going on there? Well, it turns out that uh, uh, she had some circumstances in her life where she was getting a lot of child support as long as she remained single. And uh, so I says, wait a minute, you want to tell God you're married, but tell the government you're not in order to have some money. And uh, I said, okay, okay, we surrender. And the beautiful part is it only took a few minutes in my office, and they recognized that there were a lot of things in their lives that were working for themselves. And they left my office, 
and had completely surrendered to living for God. They wanted to be a witness for their kids why we're doing this. They wanted everybody who knew them to say, we have made a change to do it God's way. We want everybody to see that. And they were married legally and, and honoring God within days. But it was a tough choice. It cost them a lot of money from that day for the rest of their lives. It was a tough choice. They had to tell mom, mom, we're going to get married before you can get here. It was a tough choice. It sometimes takes some really tough choices to put God first instead of putting ourselves first. Because of Jesus, we don't live for ourselves. Have you ever met somebody who tells you they have a life verse? I've always thought those people were crazy. I mean, like, the, the Bible's big. Y'all know how big the Bible is? Anybody ever tried to read that thing? I, I recommend that you, you read it sometime, but it's big. And there are so many verses, I think it's crazy that somebody picks one and says, this is my life verse. I'm just going to do this one for my life. And then I picked one. So I repent for all of the things I thought about people being crazy for picking one. And I have a life verse. But look, my life verse is not a verse that says, this is what I do really well. This is what I'm great at. This is what you see when you see my life. My life verse is a goal. And it's a verse that reminds me every single day that I am not here to live for myself. It comes out of Acts chapter 20, and it's, it's Paul's prayer or, or words over his, himself, and, and it describes me as well. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And uh, again, I don't do either of those two things well, but there are two things in that passage that give me goals for my life. And the first goal is, is to not live for myself, to not count my life as precious to myself. The truth is I do. I'm just going to be honest. I do. I love the life that God has given me. I enjoy what I do for a living. I, I, I like my office. I, I even got to put a blue couch in my office because I like the color blue. And so, I mean, I just look at the simplest things and go, man, my life is good. I, I like my life. I like the house that I live in. I, I like my family. I like the car that I drive. And I, I just have a good life. And listen, it's a great thing to look at your life and say, thank you, God, you've blessed me. I love my life. But I don't think I'd give it up very easily. I'm, I'm glad that God has allowed me to do this because, you know, some people have a, di a more difficult struggle. There are people who are martyred for the name of Jesus every day on our planet. And if God looked at me and said, look, I'll, I'll take care of your kids and your wife. I want you to go to a dangerous place and to represent my name, and you'll probably be coming to heaven soon. I'm going to be honest, I'd struggle with that. I'd think of my kids still young and in school. I'd, I'd think of my daughter and, and what I want to do for her future and when I want to be present for parts of her future. And, and I realize I, I count my life as precious to me. I, I, I think of things that I want. And I'm not saying I wouldn't surrender, but it would be a difficult, difficult challenge. And then the second one is where he says, if, if I could just finish my course. You know, having my course is all about understanding God created me. God has a will for my life. My course is me doing what God wants for me the way God wants it. It, it includes being a husband. It includes being a father. It includes being a pastor. It includes teaching his word. All of that is a part of me finishing my course. And look, if, as soon as we understand our course, it frees us. It frees us from condemnation when you know your course and you set out to live your course because all the times that the enemy whispers to you 
And he says, look, you're just a failure. Look, you didn't do that, and you're not good at this, and, and you're nobody and whatever. It's okay to be able to look at him and say, you're right, I'm not good at that, because God made me for this. It's okay, I failed at that. I wasn't doing what God wanted, but look at what I'm doing. You are free from condemnation when you understand what you're not supposed to be doing, and you begin to live what you are doing. When we understand our course, it frees us from comparison. Look, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. For some of you, if you ever get offended why your pastor doesn't like enough of your post, it's because I don't see enough of your post. I virtually never look at it because my love-hate relationship is like 10% love and 90% hate. I just Because every time that I go on social media, I come away feeling worse. I look at everybody else. You know, I've got a friend of mine right now. He's awesome, awesome guy. And uh, during this lockdown, he's been doing uh, sidewalk art. He's an incredible artist. No one ever knew this before this lockdown took place. And every day he puts out these most amazing images. I can't draw a stick figure, especially on a sidewalk with a piece of chalk. You know, it's like, okay, but hey, that's his thing. So I'll tell you where I really struggle. I don't really struggle that much that I can't do sidewalk art. But in social media, I follow other pastors because I, I want to learn from people and, and I want to be better at what I do. And so I'm looking at pastors who are further down the road and, and they're accomplishing things that I would aspire to accomplish at some point. And even though that's a good goal, what ends up happening is I compare myself and I look at the stories they put out and Oh, so many more people got saved and so many more people got baptized and, and so many more people are, are having their, and I just think, man, and then I just don't enjoy that because I start thinking about their course instead of my course. But if we know our course, then hopefully even as you look at social media, you don't get distracted by somebody else's course. It is not my course to do sidewalk art. It's just not. You know, if we understand our course, it also just gives us fulfillment because then I wake up every day knowing this is what God wants for me. It's the kind of husband God wants me to be. It's the kind of father God wants me to be. And, and, and this is the job God wants me to do. And God doesn't want me to do my job at the expense of being a husband or a father or whatever other role that God puts in my life. And first and foremost, what God wants for me is to be a Christian. You know, I have that verse at the top of my journal so that every day I, I go back to my life verse and I just ask God to help me do it. I've never once turned in my journal and looked at it and said, yay, I, I did it. But every day I say, God, help me to do this. But right underneath that, the next thing that comes first is God, help me to be your child. Help me to be your son before any other title gets put on me. Just help me to be your child first. This is God's first rule for us, is always simply to do that. And it is so fulfilling when we wake up and realize, you know, the number one thing I have to succeed at today is just looking at God and saying, thank you for being my father. Thank you for what you did. That's the number one thing. And you're going to find out that as you do that one, the others start to fall into place. It is much easier to be a husband or a father or a wife or a mother. It's much easier to be a student or a child when we, when we get our relationship right with God and understanding that and we become so fulfilled in who we are instead of trying to be something else. And matter of fact, if I could just speak about fulfillment, I'm going to close with this. I think a lot of us are unfulfilled. I think a lot of us are very frustrated. And I think it, it relates to something else that Jesus said when he described his own life. This is out of Luke 12. He says, I have a baptism 
to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Did you hear that? Here's what he's saying. Look, I have something to do. And how great is my distress until I've done it. And I think many of us live in that distress. We, we, we maybe can't put words on it. We wake up and we feel a little unfulfilled, a little dissatisfied, a little frustrated. Some of us may say, I, I'm not sure I'm quite where God wants me to be. Some of us will say, I don't even know if that's the right question to ask. I just don't feel good about my life. And I think a lot of us, we have lived for ourselves, lived for other goals. We've, we've just tried to figure out what it is. And there is something God put in us, even if we can't describe it, even if we don't understand what's going on, and we live in a distress. Because what God put in here, it's not coming back out. And we wake up every day with this thing just bottled up. And I just want to offer maybe some of the frustration we're experiencing is the distress that we haven't been able to label, we haven't been able to put a finger on of knowing deep inside, God gave me something to do. God gave me someone to be, and it hasn't come out. So today what I want to do is just close by praying for us. And as I begin, I want to just ask you, maybe this week and maybe when you meet in life groups, you can talk about this. It, just, it would be a lot to try to fix your whole life in one day. So have grace on yourself. How about you just pick one? Just pick the first thing that you know is, is bottled up, is, is not quite where it's supposed to be, where it's been a little more about you and a little less about God. And, and ask God to help you with that. Maybe if it's being a better mother, maybe it's being a better father, maybe if it's surrendering to him, maybe if it's a decision that you need to make, maybe it's a moral choice that you've been making or need to make. Whatever it is, pick, pick one thing. And let's ask God to touch that one today. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are a good, loving Father who wants good for his children. And part of the good that you want is the very specific plan that you've set for us. And we repent right now, God, for the times that we have looked at what you've asked for and we've said, no, I think I'm going to do what I want instead. And we've decided to live for ourselves. And today we surrender and say, if our King Jesus didn't live for himself, no longer will we either. And so whatever it is that you're putting on each of our hearts today, God, I pray that you will uh, fill everybody with your spirit to continue to work in grace towards surrendering that for you. And I just want to take a moment before we end today and, and, and say that the beginning of not living for ourselves is the moment where we realize we need to make Jesus our king. So the reality is every one of us is an imperfect person. And we will never be able to be in fellowship with God in our own effort. And so that's why God in his love sent his son to die on the cross so that his death would pay for our sins. And his resurrection, the same power would give us eternal life. And so there is a moment where every single human has to surrender the life that they've made all about themselves for the one that he wants for them with the forgiveness and the gift of salvation that comes with it. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now, wherever you are. I'm just going to help you have a conversation with him. Say something like this to yourself and the God. Lord Jesus, 
I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. I thank you that I'm loved by you. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom and help me to live not for me, but for you. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Thank you guys for worshiping with us today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.